The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Hey, I am joined now with the creative team behind God's Country, which premiered at the 2022 Sundance Film Festival. I, I got three gentlemen in the room with me. I've got uh, Julian Higgins, Andrew Wheeler, and Shay. I'm going to try my best here. Ogbana? Close. It's uh, Obana. Obana. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, uh, you know what it's like to try to order a pizza because, you know, I, I've got the same situation. It's very difficult for <laughs> anyone to get, get Ilya. I'd like all three of you gentlemen, if you could introduce yourself, Julian, starting with you, just say who you are and what you did on the movie. Yeah, um, I'm Julian Higgins. I'm the director, co-writer, and one of the producers on God's Country. I'm Shay Obana. I am the co-writer on God's Country. And I'm Andrew Wheeler, and I was the cinematographer. Gentlemen, it is not ever a solo journey to make a feature film, or almost never. Uh, how did you guys meet up, and how did you form this, uh, this team to create the movie? Uh, so Wheels and I, we call him Wheels, Andrew Wheeler. Wheels and I met. Uh, what we were both at American Film Institute at the same time. We met in 2008 when we were both first years. And um, we worked on our third of three first year projects together. That was the first time we worked together. And it was the first time everything really clicked. And we have been working together ever since for the last 12 years. Uh, Shay, you want to talk about how you and I met? Yeah, I mean, I also went to American Film Institute, but I was a year behind Andrew and Julian. And I was aware of their work. I saw their um, their thesis film, Thief. I was moved by it. The way Fire works is the first years, which I was, and they were second years, we we critique. You know, we, we we get put in focus groups and we critique, you know, thesis work from the second years. And I believe I was in a focus group for Thief and it was like, hands down, my favorite thesis. It was the, my, my favorite thing that I saw at AFS thus far. And I was just like, this this is a movie. I hope to be involved with these guys one of these days. You know, just wishful thinking. You know, I thought it'd be cool. I didn't think I didn't think it would happen. And then cut to 2016. This was, that was 2010, and in 2016, I happened to have an encounter with Julian at like a different function, and we just got to talking. Uh, it was right on the heels of the 2016 election. We both had our feelings about it, and we just talked about how we could make our art our activism. And that was a conversation that sparked several conversations that led to our collaborations. God's Country stars uh, Tandy Newton, and uh, uh, and she gives an incredible, incredible performance. And uh, there's going to be a lot written, I'm sure, about about the movie and about her performance in particular. But I often will give like a little log line or a pitch for the movie, but I, I don't want to do that with this. I would like you guys to do it. Please inform our listeners uh, what God's Country is all about. Well, it's a, it's kind of a deceptively simple story. And of course, simplicity is often the hardest thing to achieve. The story is based on a James Lee Burke short story. It was that I read it a long, long time ago. And in that short story, a older college professor discovers that two hunters are trespassing on his property. And uh, he asks them to leave, feeling a certain way about them, that maybe they're not the types to be trusted. And he turns out to be right about that. They then sort of begins this back and forth between them where he feels constantly encroached upon by these hunters and eventually uh, makes choices that really 
put his values to the test, you know? And um, it's a very short story. And uh, that's still the pitch in a way for the, the feature. But of course, in this version of it, that older white man is now Tandy Way Newton, um, a black woman in this setting. And um, of course, that changes everything else about the story as well. Shady, do you want to jump in on anything else or did Julian nail it? Yeah, Julian pretty much nailed it. That's the elevator pitches. They call it the log line. Um, only thing I would add to that was obviously adding, changing the central character, obviously changed to that never to the film and got us and gave us an opportunity. Because the short, the short story, you know, Julian Andrew made a short film off that before. And the one thing that, you know, they've always said is that that story was so contained and there, there wasn't a whole, there wasn't really much place to go with that. And by changing that character, it opened up the world to it being a larger narrative. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, what Shay's talking about is we did a short film of that story in 2014 and Wheels was the cinematographer on that. That was before Shay and I really got connected for real. But that was a pretty direct adaptation of the story. And at the end of that, I kind of felt like that was it. My, you know, we did, we did the story. I, didn't, I certainly didn't expect to revisit it, but here we are. Well, maybe you guys could talk about that a little bit. So you made a short and uh, what was the impetus then for turning this into, uh, into a feature, turning this into something that's going to take a lot more years of your life and territory you're going to have to revisit one more time? How did that come about? I think it'll be a really fascinating subject for like an adaptation class someday because like Shay and I did not really refer to the short film version at all in our thinking. We really went back to the source material and tried to build it out as a new adaptation and taking it in a new direction. And uh, that involved conversations with James Lee Burke, but it also involved, you know, a lot of our own conversations about what we actually cared about, uh, sort of the themes of our own lives that we wanted to bring to bear uh, and and get into because, you know, it's my first feature. Shay had, had done another uh, feature that he wrote and acted in as well, actually. But I wanted to leave it all on the table in my first go round. So we were both very greedy. We wanted to like bite off a big chunk of thematic material and just kind of talk about everything all at once. And at the same time, tell a very contained character-driven thriller story. Andrew, let's pull you into this conversation here. When the early conversation started happening about what this was going to look like, how did you go about uh, taking words on the page and turning them into to images? Where's there uh, lookbooks or other reference material? How did you go about working with uh, the rest of the creative team and, and coming up with the look for, the, for this movie? Sure. I mean, it's a juicy, potentially tangential question in the sense that in prep, like Julie and I don't talk about those things, actually. We aren't talking about movies. We aren't talking about photos. We aren't talking about music. We aren't talking about any of that stuff. I don't really, actually, I don't really know why that's the case. It just feels not relevant most of the time. And, you know, obviously we have a long history together. So there is, there are a lot of things that we just like similarly as a starting point. And then, you know, I think there's a thing that Julian and Shay did. They wrote and rewrote the script so many times. And I've been involved with them, not in the, in a writing sense, but I was reading all the changes they were making and as they were making it, as parts were rewritten, because the script was 67 pages or something. It wasn't a hundred page script. And every time big changes were made, they would just put actors in a room to make, because it, it was, the intent was to eliminate dialogue. So... And I would be there sometimes for these rehearsals where you would watch to see if the drama existed without the words, right? And that's, you know, that's how you know you're making a movie at the end of the day. You're making an actual film. And I think as far as like the visual style goes, 
it's not really something that we thought about that broadly. Like we just wanted to know where we were putting the camera to make the most effective choices at the end of the day. And I do have a place in Montana as well. And I've taken thousands and thousands of pictures up there over the years, which inherently is part of how this ended up looking the way it did. But we did not really did not approach things in the classic sense of like, this is what we're trying to do look wise. And it's more like Julian reminded me that I would often ask him every day, maybe not every day, but I was often asking. No, every day. Okay. <laughs> like my question was, what do we want the audience to feel right now? And that was informed everything. So. Yeah. And that, that's actually how Shay and I talked through the script as well was, and, and also the editor our like our editor, Justin LaForge, who Wheels and I met was also a classmate at AFI. The question is, what is the journey that we want the audience to be on? It's not about like what we want them to understand necessarily uh, in terms of a message or like a, a lesson or something like that. It's about the experience that we're trying to bring them into. And so like Shay and I, for example, we talked a lot about these cycles of behavior, not just personal behavior, but also national behavior and just social, the social dynamics at play and how these things repeat. And there is a kind of sense of inevitability to the story that kind of came out for us. And that concept of like inevitability as a word that is very potent. So that I just bring that word to wheels and we talk about, hey, what does inevitability look like? How do we make the audience feel like there's something underneath here that just can't be stopped? And, you know, your choices come out like that. And that's why I think it's so valuable to have the cinematographer involved as you said, way before we ever even have financing or anything, like the moment there's an idea for a movie, Wheels and I are talking about it and he's there for the entire evolution of it and sitting in on my workshops of the script and like Shay and Wheels and I will all be there and we'll all talk about it. So it, it doesn't feel to me like, okay, now we finished the script, let's figure out who's shooting it. It's like an evolution of the, the conversation for all three of us. And just to meet me jumping real quick, like, I had already had experience with viewing your work and I was always really just moved or I, I loved how their ability to execute a feeling or an idea, you, you know, in the photography of a film. But now that I'm in it and I'm, I'm involved in the process, I see how it's done. Their ability to transfer, like you said, like, well, we're, we're talking about feelings and ideas, showing, not telling. Like you see that in the filming, you see that in the photography of the film, like inevitability, grief isolation, like loss, treachery, like the, their ability to like, to execute that, that's not easy. You know what I mean? It's, it's a prone exercise to make a film for a lot of different reasons, but when you're trying to do it the way we're trying to do it, it really takes a lot of conversations and work. And like, like Julie said, having wheels evolved early in the process and having, even like having me there when we're making the film, like all of that kind of coalesced, you have to have all that working in order to like do the type of work, challenging work we're trying to do. So I, I, like I said, another interview, like the way they're able to execute that is, is second to none. Andrew, so when, when you've got your writers and your director saying to you, visualize inevitability, bring inevitability to, to the screen, immediately do you start going, well, I could put an HMI over there. No, what, what, what is inevitability? And is it, is it framing? Is it a color palette? How do you take in, uh, you know, uh, you've been there for the table reads, you've been there for everything up to this point, but how do you visualize inevitability? What, what's that? Well, I think it's like a constant reevaluation every day on set, like with how things are going and where you think that they can go. And 
I just really think that style comes, especially for a movie like this, comes out of where the camera's going to go. Like once you understand where it's supposed to be, all the whys get answered. And again, it's simplicity, but there's like a patience to that and a, like a trust that has to exist between Shay and Julian and, and Tandyway and all, all the people involved, which was very much the case on set. We knew if we weren't making the decision right away because, and I think 13 years of experience together and I've done enough in my career at this point that like, finally I understand what's in my, my gut. I'm not great at expressing things, but I, you know, Julian could look at me and go, wait, what's happening right now? Like he could see my face and you could see the wheels grinding. And he knows that like, I'm not understanding something and it's more than just me not understanding something like on a technical level or why something's not going to work. And I think there's something really important I want to bring out of that wheels, which, cause I, I recognize it now having just spent so much time in the edit. And, and I recognize it, I remember it from Shay and I, which is, I think the thing that we do across the board that I try to foster as the director with everybody I work with is first we pay attention to the instincts. So like Shay will have an instinct of like, I just don't feel like this scene is working and we don't have a solution yet. We just, he just has to say it. And then we immediately start going, okay, well, let's try to figure that out. But like the voicing of that initial instinct is actually the part that a lot of people skip. I feel like people eat their instincts a lot of times. And, and, and until you hear it, then you can't engage in the collaboration, you know? And so when Wheels says, you know, as, as often happened, he would, we would set something up or, or to discuss something. And he'd be like, I just don't, I don't know why, but it doesn't feel like the camera should be moving right now. And my job is to say, okay, interesting. Let's explore that. Just because I think the camera should be moving, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, you know? No, nope. we just, we're all figuring this out together. So if he, my trusted collaborator says the camera shouldn't be moving, he's internalized the script as well. So like, I have to now go, okay, that's really, now we have something we can figure out together and that's the work. Yeah, I, I think that it would be easy to dismiss that process and try to say like, oh, this is intuitive, but this is like the opposite of intuitive. You're taking the, the, your initial impulses and then you're working through it collaboratively. And I think that's how all great art comes to being. And I think that you've put it in a succinct way right now that I, I hope no one misunderstands because that process of just saying there's a problem and then getting to the happy solution, that takes time. Yeah, it, it, it depends entirely on the shared experience with the script. So like none of that can happen before we've had all these conversations about what we're trying to do in general. Like, I think there's two, there's two ways to go about it. I tend to be someone who wants to have a conceptual idea and then figure out what to do from there. But you can't really get to the conceptual idea until you listen to the instincts you have. And so like it, it, the components are, I believe, a trust that is developed through time and conversation, really, where you really get to understand like, who is the person here? And then an actual acceptance of the instincts, even if there isn't, like you kind of yes and the instincts. Yeah, yes, indeed. We, we've kind of traveled over this territory here for quite a bit. I kind of want to move on to some other stuff, but I have to, Julian, ask you, you said it, that you wanted to leave it all on the table. You wanted to, you know, your, your auspicious directorial debut here. Can you talk a little bit about how making this first feature film is different than all your other work before that, which I know you've done some television. I know you've done some shorts, but like guidance, did guidance prepare you for God's country or not at all? Everything did. I mean, that's the beauty of it is there is no, you're never wasting time when you're practicing, you know, and, um, guidance house, uh, all the shorts that we did, 
obviously there's lots of little technical tricks or just the sort of practical experience you accumulate the more you work, et cetera, et cetera. But really what it is, is over time, it's self-knowledge that develops. Like I understand myself better through doing the work. That is in fact the main attraction of it is like we achieve self-knowledge. This is the mechanism that allows us to do that. And so I, a bunch of times during the project, I thought to myself, boy, I'm so happy I didn't do this earlier, <laughs> which is not usually how directors think about this stuff. But like, I felt very prepared in a lot of different ways to pay attention to myself. And I think when I've watched friends have experiences with their first features and felt for them because they, you know, weren't having the experience they wanted, I always thought, well, okay, I'm glad I'm learning right now, you know? Like, I'm glad I'm, I'm witnessing and like understanding because this will all come back. I'm not sure if this is addressing your question, but um, I think it's exactly addressing my question. And actually, I, I have basically the same question for Shay because uh, Shay, I, I saw your the first project you wrote on at least on IMDb, Racist Siri, and I, I really <laughs> enjoyed it. And I don't think that Racist Siri exactly <laughs> informs God's country, but you could make the the case exactly how Julian, Julian just did about how all of this uh, helps prepare you for for your next thing. How do you feel? Is it similar? Is like all of your experience leading to the culmination at this and you're the, the top of your game, the best craft you've ever done now because of all the things that came before? Or, or how do you feel about this sort of evolution of your career? Yeah, I mean, everything, everything I've done, everything you do, if you're really a serious person about getting better and serious about your craft, everything I've done, whether it, you know, is can be dismissed as like a, a stupid funny sketch or whatever is in preparation for the next thing. And so for me, even like racist theory, like I've always been one for subverting expectations in my work for challenging preconceived notions, whatever you want to call it. And so just doing something like racist theory, just a satirical look at a, the Siri commercials and it's a comedy, obviously it, it prepares me for God's country because we're in essence on a narrative level with subverting the Western genre, right? with subverting expectations with how this particular character is supposed to behave in the situation. So yeah, everything, I, I feel like everything that I do that I'm, that I'm involved with is, is about that. And so, yeah, it, it definitely prepares you for, obviously this is a, a, a more elevated project, but the way I work, the way I like to challenge myself, it's the same thing on that as, as on this particular project. And so, Andrew, in the same vein, not exactly the same question though, but uh, you've got a lot of experience. You've done a ton of stuff before this. And I, I got to imagine, though, that if you've spent a bunch of time in Montana, where uh, I, I don't know if that's exactly where this movie is supposed to take place, because I don't think it's ever said, but I did see in the credits that it was shot there. So yeah. uh, so that do you feel like that personal experience and being really familiar with the, the territory and the region helped to I mean, you've got all these beautiful vistas and all these landscapes. Can you talk about how uh, your personal experience in that place uh, helped inform the, the visuals for the movie? Yeah, I mean, I think it all, it kind of just helps on a technical level. I have like a, I have a farm up there and I was just taking so many photos of like my nephews and just people with like a mountain background and, and, you know, on a 35 mil lens and which is what we used a lot on this film. I, I think it serviced it like on a, on a, like that kind of technical level. But as far as like, I mean, I feel a little similar to Julian saying like, I'm glad this movie happened now, you know, because he has heard a lot about my experiences on features I've done also, which I just, you know, I don't, I haven't felt strongly that when I watch things I've done in the past that I see myself up there. And this was a very special situation that was going to not take a lot of effort in one sense to make that happen. 
So yeah, I, everything leads to this moment and we almost did it in 2018 at one point. I'm glad that didn't happen also, but I took out of, you know, one of the big things was time for us here and we used our time wisely. Julian made it very simple for us in the sense that I trusted that everything was moving in the right direction. I mean, so many times you're like cross departmentally with everybody involved that things are all going the same way. And you know that like later in the process, that's gonna, things are gonna continue to be pushed in the same direction where like very often that's not the case. And you, you know, he's just clear and concise about what he wants to do, which a lot of people are not. And that's what gets you in trouble. I, in, in my defense, lest I sound like some kind of genius, I do wanna say that like people think of directors as knowing what they want. I actually don't know what the movie is going to be. And then maybe people will say that I appear that way. But what I, what I actually want is for the process to be conducted in a certain way. Because I'm very confident that if we go through the process in that way, we will arrive. Like I trust that we will figure it out. I'm not, I know we will come up with the solutions. What I feel like was so valuable about the previous experiences I had, especially the ones that didn't go well was you get to understand how the process can be derailed sometimes without you even noticing. And so I felt that the part that I was, I felt really prepared for was how to defend the process. And it's not because somebody's attacking it. It's just, this is what happens. We're making an independent film. We're out there in the wilderness. Like things are, it's hard to do. And in those kinds of situations, it's very hard to make sure that the process continues despite the, the obstacles. There's a wonderful slow burn that happens in this movie, and it all sort of culminates in a climax, which one might even argue is the last shot of the movie. I know that it's a little bit of choreography that goes on, and it's a, it's a really beautiful shot, but uh, can you talk about, without giving it away, what sort of preparation or how many takes you had to do for that last shot to get it just so, to have that emotional moment and that beat exactly resonate the way you wanted it to? Before you jump in wheels, because I know you have a lot to say, I just want to say that that I'm really happy Shay is on this call right now because that shot is something that originates in our conversation about the ending. But I, I'll always remember when we came up with that ending. Yeah. And it had a few, like on a technical level, it had a few versions that we were like, had tested out in the parking lot of the hotel we were staying at the first time around. And I think certain limitations kind of landed us where we did ultimately land with it. And the idea of the shot was always the same. How we got there just became figuring out the puzzle to make it work. And we did spend, I mean, that was like, there was a little pressure in there, but we, that was a pretty leisurely day, to be honest. Like we had, I think we set up all the dolly track the day before and we shot maybe one or two good takes during the daytime to make sure we had it. Uh, and we rehearsed it a bunch of times till it was right. Like we really spent the time to make it be what we wanted to be. And then we got lucky that the take that we wanted to be the best take at the right, at the time we wanted was the best take. So, you know, that six hours of practice in it or whatever worked out for us ultimately. Yeah. And what I mean, what I meant when I was talking about the, it starts with Shay and I is like the shot itself comes, that is the inevitable shot. And so like, that's, that's where it's been going all along. And you need to feel that kind of purpose in the experience of watching it. So it had to be what it is. And there was some technical, as we were just saying, there's some technical limitations that we had, because again, it was, you know, we didn't have all the tools in the toolkit on this project, 
we had to make do with what we had. And that was where it would have been much easier to be like, okay, yeah, sure. Let's do it the way that that's straightforward to do it this way. But my instinct was that it had to be, the camera had to remain perfectly uh, still, like it had to remain, um, I don't even know how to describe it technically, but just it didn't, ha it could not move until the push begins. And then later in the shot, it starts to move. But that, that was a very difficult thing for us to figure out, as I recall, with the tools that we had. Yeah. And me, yeah, I'll just jump in real quick and just stay on the narrative level, like when Julian was talking. I remember when we were talking about that scene, I, I mean, again, it's like, it's high in mind. I don't know who comes up with which idea anymore, but I remember like, I was adamant that as a viewer watching this character, I did not want that. I didn't want the camera to go in the house. I didn't want to see what the, the events that happened. I just wanted to feel inevitable. I wanted to feel haunting. I wanted to feel a sense of tragedy. And when I tell you like that scene, when I watch it, I can continuously watch it. All those feelings are, are evoked and it's just, they, they, they nailed it. Like it is, it is 100% executed. And again, it just comes from all the work that was done and all the trust that happened between all of the major elements. Um, you know, whether, you know, from us and writing, you know, with Julian and Andrew and his team and every and Tandy way, obviously, and Yoris and Jefferson, like it just, it really took a level of craft and trust from all of us. Can I just put, since we are, this is a, we can get in the weeds on this podcast. I know there is a missing link too, which is, it's very important. It's, you know, you have an idea for a, a scene and a shot in 2018 and you end up shooting it in 2021. Mm -hmm. And in the meaning, in the middle, there's all kinds of things that happen, but one of them is location scouting. Mm. And like that shot is not possible in a lot of locations. It had, it was a very specific set of parameters. There had to be a long road with a vanishing point. There has to be a clear delineation of the property line. There has to be a driveway. There has to be enough runway for this long dolly move we want to do. And it has to be like an iconic Western location. It can't just be like somebody's house. It has to be like a still you would see in the Americans or something, like a really iconic place. So we spent a long time driving all over Montana looking for that place. But having the sense of the conceptual idea of the inevitability, meaning that we needed that dolly move, that long straight shot, that really affected our location scouting. Because it's, if you have the, if you find the location and then come up with it, it's, it's you know, you may be compromised without even noticing. Yeah, and I think it was really successful. It's really successful, and there's not too many movies that that do what you guys did. And I, I would say that it almost, I mean, it feels like a signature piece. It feels like if you wanted to sum up all of the emotions and everything that kind of went through that movie in this one shot, it is, for me, it was that. It's like, it's really memorable. And, you know, I, I have a critical eye for this sort of thing, but I, I know I'm not the only one. I know other people out there are going to really pay attention to this. And also, it's like, you know, if you talk about it the way other directors or other writers or other cinematographers would have would have shot this, I mean, that scene could have been shot a a million different ways and and in all different sort of levels of visceral emotion. And I think you nailed it. And now I can't imagine it seeing it any other way. I think that that is like, and, and I'm glad that that's that's how you guys chose to do it because <laughs> it's like it's it really is sort of a a perfect fitting note for that movie. At least at least that's what I think. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for that. That's yeah, very nice to hear. You. I will just add, though, that that ideally is how it should feel with every scene. Like the ideal is that there is the right way of shooting the scene for the movie among all the infinite ways that you could shoot it. 
And I know that we didn't always, you know, we're always going to be learning, you know, like there's always things that we'll, we'll look at and be like, oh, well, we learned something there. Maybe that's, you know, but like, that's what we strive for is to like decide among all the possibilities, what the correct choices are for that scene based on the, the ideas in the movie. So this movie had a very, very long pre-production development cycle. You talked about possibly shooting in 2018. I imagine there must have been some fits and starts and things that happened along the way. Any war stories you, you care to share with us in, in this long process of bringing, you know, this movie to life? Any stories in particular come to mind? Yeah, I, there's a sequence I would like to talk about that I'm very proud of, which is the whole end sequence. That was always a big technical problem. How are we going to shoot these night scenes at this big landscape that has been a character in the whole movie? How are we going to see it, even with and all the money in the world, I'm not sure how we would, would have done it. And, you know, we had to come up with a way to deal with this, which was Julian's suggestion. He's like, let's just shoot it at blue hour, which was a great solution, but it takes the confidence of someone who can just deal with doing three shots a night and making that okay, like at the end of a whole nother shoot day. And once we kind of settled on that, that it just became like a, a scheduling thing to figure out. And that sequence for me, like we shot that over like eight days, maybe nine days, like a some of the shots aren't even at the house location. And for me, I'm just really proud of that sequence, to be honest. <laughs> it, it was, it was a, it was yeah. a suggestion. It was again, like one of those stories where I had that instinct and I knew it was going to cause so many problems for so many people if I said that, but I just had to put it out there because we were trying to solve it with not enough lights to light up all of Montana at night. And we certainly didn't want to do day for night because there's snow everywhere. So we basically, I had to say like, what if we just shot a little bit of it every day? And of course that was met with groans across the board, <laughs> but to Wheels's credit, like he was like, well, let's figure out like what we're actually need to shoot. And then we can actually get it in the schedule as shots. Cause normally you schedule, you schedule scenes, but we made up. So basically he and I spent a lot of time making a numbered list of shots. And then we scheduled those individual shots uh, as a strip on the schedule. And so we knew that like, we were going to finish this scene inside the house. We were going to run outside, set up the tripod, looking down the hill for one thing. Then we were going to go back in and do another scene, you know? And uh, that's how we assembled that sequence. And it, and it wasn't just over several nights, it was over several years. Cause yes. we shut down the production <laughs> in the middle for a long time because of COVID. So we shot half of it. I mean, that at some point, I think there would be, it'd be great to just put the dates in the corner of the screen. So you see, okay, this shot cuts to this shot and a year went by. But yeah, that was a, that was a very satisfying to see it all come together. And I, I do think we should mention our colorist if you wanna, cause she was the last piece of the process there. Yeah, yeah. We had a woman named Elodie Ector over at the picture shop who's, I worked with her on a film maybe six or seven years ago and it was just really great. And I pushed really hard to have her on this project because she just has such great taste when it comes to these things. And I knew we'd need some help with certain things in that regard. And she, she, I mean, I don't know, I, it's going to be a lifelong collaboration, I hope, uh, between all of us here, it was just, she's an invaluable skill set and, and she's versatile and, you know, she, she can do it. It's amazing. Uh, and, and the proof is on the screen. Well, well, gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for this conversation. And, uh, I think we have to leave it there. Is there a official website for the, the movie yet? I know it's uh, seeking, uh, us distribution rights. Is there a place that people can, can go to find out more if they want to check out the trailer or anything like that? 
Uh, we have a, a clip from the movie. If you're interested in seeing kind of what the feel of it is, that's available on Deadline released it. So you can look that up. And uh, yeah, at the moment, we're just waiting for a distributor and hopefully we'll get one soon and then there'll be more information. Great. And we'll add a, a link to that clip in the show notes over at camnoir.com. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the Cinematography Podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.